All right, so this was an incredible episode. Absolutely incredible episode. Oh, man. Usually when we have a guest, we actually jump straight into, okay, so tell us who you are. You know, what's who are you? Where do you come from? How'd you get to where, you, where you're being? Bro, we went for like the first half hour that didn't without even talking about that. Just because this Tom, this he was so he was so he was so like earth. us, yes. just like us, and everything he does with the the fitness, the eating, the even when it came down to Neuros and on it, like he yeah. Before we our even two know sponsors, about us. he yeah. has them every day. Like he's a huge fan of them too. Yeah, it did. The second he walked in and he started talking, I was like, "Holy shit!" Okay, because when we got introduced to him as just a a corporate lawyer, yeah, that's what I heard. Corporate yeah, yeah. We lawyer. Just, well, the text was who fucks around in fitness, and I think he's a black belt. There was like this, like, thinking like he's a hey, black belt. you guys want a lawyer on your podcast?" And that was it. Yeah, and I was just like, uh, I, I, "We had my sister lawyer. I didn't know what questions to ask. I, had, I didn't. I don't know how to go down that road. I guess whatever. Yeah. Um, but but so, then, man, so we we find out very quickly that. He is very, very heavily involved in, in, in optimizing his employees as humans through nutrition and fitness and meditation yes. so that they and, produce better work as lawyers. And first, starting with himself, knowing how that's worked for him, right? He went in detail on how he focuses on himself internally, focuses on what makes him a better person, and then disseminates that to his, his employees and then creates this cycle of... Um, people positively helping him, him helping them positively, and then just, you know, building momentum as he goes. And the dude, he's so so down to earth. Such a pleasure yeah, to have I'm him. I'm very on. happy to have met him. Um, there's really not much to introduce right now because you're gonna get a whole spiel as he talks, and you're gonna get to know him very well. Um, I think it won't even do justice introducing him. I think you just need to hear him talk himself, and I, you guys yeah. are gonna love this episode because it is like it's. It's like an evolution of the Young Minds podcast. It's almost looking into the future, like a time capsule, just seeing like where this mindset brings you. And it, we're not bragging about ourselves, or at least I'm not, you're not, we're not bragging about ourselves, but the little things that he's hit on, the little key uh, implementations every day it works. that have he's created proof. who he is today. And, uh, you know, I couldn't be more proud of who he is and <laughs> the conversation we had. Yeah. And it was awesome. All right. So, so uh, without further ado, enjoy. Hey Frank, what exactly does it mean to be growth-minded? Well, Justin, I'm glad you asked. It's a state of mind where you realize you don't know everything, but are open and willing to learn more in order to achieve more. And how does one know where to learn these things? What if it's false information? Well, bud, that's why you listen to the Young Minds podcast, where they tackle the most up-to-date and relevant topics with unfiltered discussion aimed at optimizing this video game that we call life. Wow, I'm excited. I think I'm going to go ahead and leave a five-star review on Apple iTunes and Facebook. <laughs> I don't want to shit on it and ruin it. I was like, maybe we could add something at the end. Oh, I don't, I don't. How's your coffee? Coffee's awesome. Yeah. Awesome, just like I like it. Buttery, little sweet, awesome. Good, yeah. good. He's drinking the uh, the Nur Roast. Yeah. It's our medicine, our day-to-day yep. medicine. Wait, so you, you said you, bought, you buy the... Um, what is it? The creamer, the right? Creamer, yeah. So it's a uh, powdered coconut oil, uh, and then it has all of the different mushroom mixes in it. And I noticed a huge difference right away. Love the taste of it. And now I can't drink regular coffee, so I drink it in the morning. Throw a little slab of butter in there, a uh, little sweet drops, like I was telling you guys. And you can't mirror that flavor anywhere. Yeah. So I'm like, I, I'm good, man. I'm good for the day. I notice a difference. I get up every day, four thirty. 
So I'm every like, day. Oh yeah, every single day. Every day, four thirty, latest five o'clock, <laughs> because I got to be training at the gym three, four days a week. I got to get there by six. It's in Baldwin, so you know my my, I get up, I do a little meditation, I have some some of my coffee, and I'm off. Yeah, you know. So so, so you don't you actually you've never had the Nero's coffee. You've only had their creamer. Correct. Correct. Okay. Well, welcome to the, uh, the full the <laughs> yeah, full right? circle here. Yeah, the world of the coffee. That <laughs> made me want to buy it. Yeah, right. And it's funny because he actually, we were talking before the show, you use Honor products as well. Yep. And we usually do like our commercials in the beginning. I was like, you know what? Forget it. We're not even going to do the commercials because he does the two yeah. things yeah, yeah, that yeah. we would do a commercial for. He already implements them in his life. Yep. Um, and one thing I want to talk about with the, the Shroom Tech immunity. Yes. From... So we have two mushroom products that we we use, and lately we've been kind of diving deep into mushrooms and how they and all the extracts and how they work on the body, and the adaptogenic effects and how your body responds in a positive way. Um, so for jujitsu, when you use cordyceps mushrooms, um, you use the Honor product, Shroom Tech, right? Yeah. So I take the uh, Shroom Tech Immunity, mm-hmm. and then I take the other product, Virotech, and I take those more for the immunity and the recovery aspects than. The blast off aspect, gotcha. but I, th- I feel like the Neuros Creamer mm-hmm. has the cordyceps and everything you need for energy, and I'm taking that right before jujitsu in a 20 yeah. ounce coffee. So I'm like, I'm pretty good by the time we're rolling at six o'clock. I'm good to hit it, you know. So. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it buffers your fatigue. Yeah, you know, like it prolongs you're allowed to go for longer. Yeah, like I stopped using caffeine pre workout and I started just taking the the Shroom Tech Sport with that has the cordyceps and the and you know ashwagandha. Same yeah. effect. Oh, it's amazing. Because with the coffee, it's it's slight, but it's steady throughout the day. So with my demands, it kind of works, right? So it's right. the amount that I need it. But then when I go to work out with the cordyceps, it blows the doors off of any pre-workout I've ever taken, beta alanine, all those things that help you prolong and relieve the stress. Yeah. It feels incredible. So I it's just, actually funny that... Did you guys hear Paul Stamets on yes. Rogan recently? Yes, yes. It's crazy. I'm yes. like, mushrooms are like the key. Yeah. And, when and I've t- noticed that. So he was, he was talking about portobello mushrooms and how you need to cook them for a long time under high heat. Right. Otherwise, there's a, there's a chemical in there that toxic. that's toxic to us. And then Rogan was asking, you know, uh, something about why portobello mushrooms were were so, what was so bad about them? And he stopped talking. Paul. Yeah. And he, he had this moment of silence. And Paul's like, if for people who don't know who Paul Stamets is, he's a he's a mycologist who's a he's a, a scientist for mushrooms, and he's Doctor Fungus, so to speak. And he's like kind of a quirky guy, kind of like a weird guy a little bit. He's very introverted, so like you got to kind of probe him, get get things out of him. Uh, so for him to just stop talking, he stares at Rogan, blank stare <laughs> on air, and he's like, is this, and Rogan's like, is everything okay? He's like. I, I will not speak any further on this. Didn't he say something matter. like, wait, what, wait, 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 what happened? <laughs> so it, he's working. So what I got from it is that <clears throat> this guy, Paul Stamets, is working with the government. And I'm guessing just because of the strength of fungi and mycelium, this this kingdom of the animal kingdom um, of the species, all the species like bacteria, fungus, animal, plant, um, fungus has been kind of neglected and not really looked at, but it's one of the most primitive life forms on the planet. So the depth of their evolution in our lives, like how deep they're ingrained in our bodies, in our gut biome, it's half bacteria, half fungus, and then in the floor, in the soil, it's all fungus and bacteria. Like everything is built on fungus, ultimately. So with like chemical warfare and, you know, you think with the government, he has something to do with the government, right? And chemical warfare and maybe how they want to 
mess with our food or, you know, in international affairs, maybe somebody wants to mess with us on a genetic level, right? Or mess with us with a pathogen and try to infect the entire country. We'll use fungus to try to increase our immunity or to try to block that from happening. That's why Shroom Tech uh, Immune works for you in the... Uh, the other one, uh, Virotech, Virotech yep. work for you because they're all adaptogens from mushrooms. So he, uh, I guess he took that little silence cause he's working with the government and he doesn't want to disclose any information really? on Rogan. Cause he, he knows it's a huge reach. Didn't he also say something along the lines of, I can't talk about it. They'll kill me. And I was like, something like what? that. Yeah. He's like, I can't talk about it. This is classified information yeah. over mushrooms. Yeah. What? Yeah. But that's, he's, thing. that's sneaky. But they've brought him in. Like they said about the, uh, the chemical warfare, they brought him in to find cures to the stuff they know is being developed. Like, and I forget the one where the letters were mailed to the White House and there was that certain poison that yeah. was in it. What, anthrax. anthrax. Anthrax, yeah. So he was brought in to develop a antidote for anthrax, which he was able to do and said he killed everything. It killed bacteria, it killed fungus. They, they've developed all these different things and he can't talk about it. And there's wow. also for uh, oil spills in the ocean, uh, there's a, a fungus that actually digests it. Yes. it, eats it, and then we could eat it after it eats it. That's crazy. So the mushroom it eats up the oil. Eats up the oil, and Seen then it, it metabolizes it, and then returns back to white. So the, it starts off white, the fungus, and then eats the oil, turns brown, black, then turns white again, so it just Digest turns it, it into something yeah. else, and then we out, could yeah. eat it. So we could save the planet and save world hunger that's at the crazy. same time it's with crazy. fungus it's just like that's such a that's a world where we need to we really know what it goes back to, to it's, it, i feel like it always goes back to um just that earth we have everything we need here like mother nature is very well well-rounded yeah and and we we're very quick to put it down and be like no technology is better you know but it's like no sometimes we have to look back and you know mother nature does a very good course of keeping everything in check it's like yeah. the paleo diet all like just simple concepts i'm finding now especially the core concepts of sleep, diet, all the basic concepts where, you know, I you know, I was around in the 70s and 80s and 90s where it was like, oh, you gotta try this new fed diet or you gotta eat it. And it's all the basic stuff. Just eat real food, which there's hardly any real food in America. So that's a, a problem. Yeah, you have, to, in and you of have to try to find it. Like it's you a, gotta work hard. It's a little hassle. You gotta work hard. Like I was researching, I like, happen to like oatmeal. That, and I was like, why are they talking about oats as a poisonous thing? And it's the glyphosate that's in everything. So if you research glyphosate, you're like, oh my God, they're, they're killing us. And it's scary. It's really scary because you just want real food to nourish. Glyphosate, that's a pesticide, right? It's a pesticide yeah. developed by Wasn't Monsanto. I, I put up a bunch of studies on my Instagram a couple of weeks ago or yeah. last week about glyphosate being in like Oreos and Cheerios. How about Quaker oatmeal? It's Quaker oatmeal. It's yeah. in everything. Quaker oatmeal this pesticide has five is or six times the amount of glyphosate that should be tolerable. Yeah. And they know it causes cancer. And, and, and the issue is not that because because the argument to you to that is yeah, but it's such a trace amount. It's fine. But it's like okay, it's a trace amount in every single product I have in my house. So I'm I'm not just having that trace amount in my Oreos. Mm -hmm. I'm having that trace amount in everything I eat, so it's building up. But they actually showed it wasn't a trace amount. So if the if there's a regulated amount of, I, I don't know the numbers, but let's say it's 200, the amount in Quaker Oats was 1,100. And I'm like, that's not trace amount to me. That's poison. That means it's killing my gut flora. That means it's affecting my immune system potentially. So I don't 
you know, now you got to go online and research. Where do you find glyphosate free oats? My wife is ready to kill me. She's like, I can't shop for you anymore. Yeah. And I'm like, I know, I know I did this to myself, but. And it sucks because it's like the more you don't know, the more bliss and kind of ignorant you could be. But then you wonder why you get sick. You wonder why the people around you are yeah. getting sick. Why, why you're in pain, why you have headaches, why you feel dehydrated, right. you know, and. And all the immune issues that are popping up now. Yeah. You know? Like. And then we're pointing at the wrong causes. Like we're pointing at things that are directly in use instead of saying, oh, well, maybe as a kid eating all those Oreos over time, I depleted right. all my gut flora right. that was that was oh, positive. Absolutely. And then now I've been cultivating and culturing all these shitty gut flora. And now I'm just now these cravings are coming in. And now and it's also cravings, decade after decade of, you know, humans eating and gut microbiome being passed on to their their children and. Just the growth or, right. or degradation, if you could say, of the gut. Our bodies aren't meant to digest stuff that's not real food. So you've got Oreos that have chemicals in it, and our bodies don't know what that is. You know, we're meant to digest meat, fish, chicken, that that type of stuff. So when you, you know, and I see my daughter, one of you guys was talking about your nieces and the 70-30 split, right? Yeah. And it makes me nuts, but I'm like, she's surrounded by it. My wife's not buying into what the way I want to eat. I'm like, that's fine. It's my body. I'm going to eat the way I want. But for your not, child, you're not meant to eat that stuff. It's, it's not natural. Yeah. You know, no, I totally agree. And it's, I feel like with kids, at least since they're growing so fast and that their, their cells are multiplying at like thousands of times what ours are. At it's the point, fastest you'll ever grow. It's fine. It's more fine that they eat the shittier foods because at right. some point they're going to turn over right. the, the damage much quicker. Right. And the inflammation will go away quicker. But then when they are when they are able to, you know, take care of their lives 100 percent and they have full agency over what they eat and put in their body and how they treat themselves, I think that's when the education process can start now. It should start earlier. I think we it, should be practicing that I think stuff it does earlier. to a certain extent by modeling, right? Like I don't like to talk and teach. I just live my life and she sees the way I eat and she knows I do jujitsu. I don't want to push her into doing jujitsu because she won't do it. I would rebel against it at her age. So, you know, having the benefit of having a child, I can say it's way more effective to just do the do the modeling for them, let them see by the behavior versus verbally because verbally they're going to yeah, rebel. That's that's exactly course. what I try and teach all my clients because a lot of times you'll have a parent who comes in and they're they're very overweight and sure enough, so are their children because as a, as a child, you're not food shopping. You're just no. eating what the they go to with Costco. And they're eating all the free samples and then they're buying the 500 pound pack of spam. So, you know, oh, of course yeah. that's what the kid's eating, you know. Yeah, I've it. never had spam before. Me neither. Ever. Me neither, actually. It looked, I heard it's pretty as good. As a kid, I heard it looked it's good. good. Like, I didn't give a shit. When I was a kid, I was Blue, Cool Ranch Doritos, Dr. Pepper, and RuneScape, <laughs> as everyone knows. Right? And, like, that was my go-to. And I looked at spam. I was like, that looks really good. But I don't buy food. Like, I don't buy my groceries, so I'm never going to have this. But I always wanted to try it. Now, now I'm just, like, completely You would never it, put that in want... your body now. Now right? I wouldn't. No. But I always looked at it. Probably just to try it, though. Yeah, right? Just to give it a taste. Like a nibble. Yeah. Just like rainbow cookies on Christmas I'll have a little spam, but you know what's you know? funny I found like once you clean up your diet and you cut out the, the processed stuff all of the bad stuff I don't crave anything anymore I eat when I want to eat I try to do intermittent fasting on a daily basis of at least 12 hours for me I have to eat in that window because I'm starving because of the calorie caloric needs that I have with the training and stuff but you know I'm not craving sugary treats I don't I don't you know, I've replaced all of that stuff. Yeah, yep. the good stuff. But we were talking about this yesterday, how the gut 
it, it wants certain things. Right. So when you always feed it that sugar, it wants more. the gut sends signals to your brain to say, hey, bud, we need some sugar. Right. Like we want sugar. And then That's what is that? Flourish. That's a craving. That's a craving right, right. there. You right. want more. Yeah. And you don't notice it. You're just like, what's wrong with me? It's like, no, you have a whole community down like, there like that you're salty. not hearing. I need you have salty. tenants. Right. Yeah, you <laughs> have tenants downstairs. You that guys notice. Have you guys noticed like uh, the effect on the immune system just not eating sugar? We were talking about it the other day. Like, <laughs> I don't get allergies. I haven't gotten cold. I don't have a stuffy nose we anymore. Both, we both got rid of our allergies me within too. a year. I'll tell you a funny story. So I went, this one doctor I was telling you about, I won't mention his name, but he was my friend. And he's traditionally trained medicine. You have asthma. So for years, he had me on Singular, an inhaler. I stopped eating sugar. I'm like, hey, man, I don't, I don't have anything. He's like, no, 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 you need to keep taking. I'm like, but I'm telling you, I don't have asthma. I don't have allergies. I don't have a sniffle. I haven't gotten sick. So I just took myself off of it. And same experience. All the allergies, gone. And you will see, like, pollen, reg, all gone. Mm -hmm. Like, nothing just from cutting out sugar. Hell yeah. And exercise. I mean, exercise is the biggest, the number one, you know, because that allows us to process through things and it keeps our hormones in a balance in right. check. Right? right. So people who are most mostly sedentary, they're sitting down and they happen to have some sort of discomfort because they could sense everything. They're not in tune with their body. So all they know is pain. They don't understand the endorphin release. They don't get that naturally. So all they know is stress and, you know, all of the negative side of the spectrum relative. And once they feel that little discomfort, they go, OK, how do I treat this? How do I treat it? Can I, can I have the substance that takes this away? So it brings right. me back to baseline. Instead of saying, oh, let me go endorse some stress really quick in the gym, work out, get something going, my endorphins going, and then maybe I could weed through all that clout. People want the easy fix though, man. Oh, man they want the pill. Today, man. They that's... don't want to go to the gym for two hours. They don't want to roll around, put themselves in un uncomfortable positions. It's a lot of work. Yeah, we were actually just talking about that, how we, we with the growth of technology, we're doing less and less and we're not exerting energy anymore. And that's almost right. becoming now pent up energy. And we're seeing outbreaks of people just stressed for no reason. Anxiety, depression, stress, yeah. all of it. Yeah. And you and see it taking place on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Everybody, oh, yeah. it's a recreational outrage. And we were looking at that, uh, that MAGA, that MAGA issue. That yeah. We were looking at a couple of things and saying, why are these people just screaming and just pissed at everything? And the first thing I think of with my fitness brain, I'm like, well, they don't exert any energy. You know, we're, right. we're creature, we're animals. We are creatures and animals, and we used to exert all of our energy every day just to stay alive. You know, the way we live now, we've only been living like this for a short amount of time. Human history is more of us being animals than us being, you know, civilized, civilized. Right. technology right, right. people. So, so it's in, it's in, it's in our, it's in our uh, DNA, if, yeah, one, yeah. if one can say. I mean, one of the things that I do business-wise is I'm big on time management um, because I I just have to make sure that the stuff that is important, like working out, that I've scheduled my, built my life around what serves me versus all of a sudden my day's gotten away. I'm working till eight o'clock every night. You know, there's, there's certain ways you can build your life to fit what you want it to be. And I love yeah. that because a lot of people will put their business first and put that so high that they start degrading. Right. And then all right. that happens is that that catches up to you and bites you in the ass and your business crumbles because you crumble. You know, so, there's so, also a point of diminishing returns. If you put in a nine hour day, I'm maxed out. If you do it the right way, right? I get to the office every day by eight o'clock, 830 the latest. I'm starting before my competitors are starting by five o'clock, man. I'm no one's worked as hard as I have. I've made 10 marketing calls from the gym to my office. I get to the office. I grind away. I take an hour for lunch. I relax. I go out, I do some marketing, whatever it is. By the time five o'clock rolls around, I'm good. I've done more than most people will do in a given day. I'm highly productive because I worked out. I got the endorphin rush, like you said. 
and I'm nice and relaxed. And But I built it that way. You have to consciously sit down with a calendar, schedule it, and stick to that time template, you know? So Yeah. Now, before we run into this whole conversation, because I feel sure, like sure, we're sure. going to talk for a yeah. long time, I, I do want to just step back and, and, you know, I want to hear where you're from, your, your upbringing, sure. uh, your story, how you got to the point of basically owning your own business with 15 employees, like you said earlier. Sure. And how you got to everything you are now. So I was uh, I was born in Queens, 1968. I know this is old, right? <laughs> so I'm 50. Um, my parents moved out here to Long Island, thinking you know better life, farm country at the time. There weren't even there were dirt roads. Um, from where? From from, from Queens. From, we, they moved from Long Queens Island. to North Babylon. Oh, okay. okay. So I grew up in North Babylon. Went to the North Babylon school system. Went to Hofstra, Hofstra Law. Oh. Um, graduated, got a job. I was a, an excellent attorney right out of the gate. I knew how to litigate. I knew how to argue, postulate arguments. What made you want to go into law? Want me to be honest? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I wanted yeah. to make a lot of money. Wrong thing to do. I learned now as I have a daughter, when she asks me for advice, and I heard one of you guys say this recently, um, my advice to my daughter was follow your passion, the money will come, because that's been my experience. It wasn't until I opened my own business in 2001, Tone of Law, um, that I could say, okay, I'm a businessman. I'm a great litigator. I'm a great trial guy. I get good results from my clients, but if I want to serve more people, I have to scale up and build a business, which means I need to surround myself by the technical experts. So everybody in my office is like a, a, a trained killer when it comes to litigation, and we get the same results because I built it that way. I built systems to say, I'm going to hire the smartest talent I can hire, but I'm going to be the businessman. I'm going to scale this thing up. I'm going to double in size. So we we are literally in the process of now growing, going through a growth spurt right now. And I did that because that was my passion. I wanted to be a businessman and I have to choose. At some point you have to say, well, you're either the technician or you're the entrepreneur. And I knew I was an entrepreneur because I, I, I like that risk. I like that aggression. That's how I'm built. Yeah. So it's the, it's the late eighties, early nineties, right? You're fresh as a brand new attorney. What is the, the the atmosphere in that in that time period so as a brand new attorney i get out there's bank failures going on i think i've survived two or three rounds of bank failures like we saw back in 2008, 2008 yeah. right um and it was the typical what you would think of a law firm industry dry work saturday shark work, shark work till 11 o'clock at night and i was like mm. this is not going to be for me i hated most lawyers because i couldn't stand the stories about you know, all they had was war stories about their last case, right? And I was like, nobody gives a shit. Nobody, nobody really cares. It might impact that one person, but you're really only talking its ego. Um, so I went to a firm out here in Suffolk County to learn personal injury litigation because most of the litigation that goes on in courts is personal injury oriented. Um, I tried a bunch of cases right out of the gate. I loved it. I was addicted. I was like, I got to you know, a captive audience, I get to be theatrical, I get to present the case and fight for my client. Um, then I opened my own practice and I and I kept doing that and I was like, I can change what the model is that I saw. It doesn't have to be where the associates hate the owners. It doesn't have to be the cubicle lifestyle that is like, you know, you're like, you might as well just kill yourself. You're dying slowly over 30 years, right? Yeah. So what I tried to do was um, change the model. And I did, I changed it for myself and it set me apart in the marketplace 
It made me a market dominant player in the sectors that I'm in. And I love going to the office every day now. It's not work anymore because I love it. It's my passion. You know, so. Beautiful. So what do you implement in the office? So, okay. So the first thing I did, which I highly recommend to entrepreneurs, young, old, my age, whatever, is coaching, right? So I hired a law firm management coach and they're a coaching organization. They represent about 550 law firms across the country. But what they do is it's a mastermind kind of concept. So whatever you guys want to do, that's, that's really... There are people that have done it already. There are people that have innovations that you're surrounding yourself with that all of a sudden sparks your creativity, right? And I do those conventions and we go, and I'm four times a year, I fly down to Dallas right now with the group that I'm in. So I said to you earlier about the, the, the rope team that you surround yourself with. The rope team is the reference to Mandy Harvey. He was talking about a guy who was climbing Everest and who are the people that are closest to you. Mm-hmm. My rope team of professionals you know, I said to my wife one night, you know, I hung up with this guy, close friend, hung up with that guy. In a half an hour, I've spoken to three guys that are probably worth between two to $10 million. It's not a bad rope team to have. Where do you think I'm going to end up? Right? So, and I do it with a smile on my face. And the people that work for me are like family and they're grinding away because I've tied their success slash happiness to the firm's success. So we tried to... Change, disrupt the model of the law firm where you'd rather hang yourself than stay in a at a desk for the next 50 years at. So the people that you hire, so your 15 employees, are they all lawyers? Or no. No. Is it, that's paralegal? Yeah. So I have, right now we have three attorneys. We're going to hire another one in probably May. Um, and then the balance of it is management slash paralegal slash office manager um, or legal administrator. And... Um, what I really tried to do from the ground up is build a scalable business that will outlast me. You know, if I sell it internally or externally, the business will continue on past me. Part of what my, you know, bucket list was or my great life plan was, was to build something that was a legacy organization that would go on after me. You know, so my daughter could drive by and say, my dad built that place. His name's still on the door, you know? Yeah. That was my goal. It was bigger than just money or, or anything like that. Yeah, and that's what builds a sustainable, great company, you right. know, knowing that it can prolong and you've scaled it big enough. So have you noticed that you've been in the field kind of during the change of technology? Have you yeah. noticed how it has changed? I mean, clearly you have. <laughs> but ha- in what ways have you noticed that okay. it's changed or made it easier or harder for you? Okay. So I was around before the internet. That's going to blow your guys' mind, <laughs> right? I was sitting there with a laptop that I literally had to run a 100-foot cord to the phone yeah. jack. No, actually, uh, uh, we did we that, We were too. there. We oh, had, okay. I, had, I remember when the internet first came out. Okay. I only got 20 minutes on it because, right. same thing, we had to plug it in the took phone took you like line, a half an hour to And my mom up. was like, yeah. you have 20 minutes because we need the house phone. Yeah. Like, what? Exactly. You played pinball game for 20 minutes and that's it. Yeah. So now, fast forward, I'll contrast two case studies. You have me, 50-year-old attorney. And you have another 50-year-old attorney. I won't mention any names again. This 50-year-old attorney refuses to have a, a, a computer on his desk and refuses to implement a case management system. So he's running his practice by chaos. Me, I'm an implementer. You know, I'm a high aggressive, you know, I like something, I move forward, I implement it. So, you know, I was the first guy to have a BlackBerry, to have any of the pagers, you know, I was trading stocks at my desk as an associate on a Palm Pilot with a flip-up antenna. Palm, Palm Pilot. Pilot. Remember those? Remember those? Oh, remember those? So 
what I realized early on is if you use technology for what it's truly for, which is a tool, it shouldn't be where you spend five hours on Instagram and you've lost five hours of your life times, you know, five days a week is 25 hours. But I use it again to serve me and what it allows you to do is really leverage. So 15 people can perform the work of about 45 people because of that technology, if you use it smart. If you stick your head in the sand and you become the other guy and you go, I don't want a computer on my desk, I'm not using case management software. I'll probably end up buying that business at some point because it's it's gotta be months away from chaos and, and falling apart, right? You can't manage 500 personal injury files without using a computer. And, and they are, there are practices out there doing that. They're, they're like dinosaurs. Yeah, and I noticed I recently just got out of uh out of the medical field, right? And I, all my clients, they all varied, right? So some of them have an EMR, an electronic medical record system, or right. they have a file cabinet from A to Z on the wall. It's just like, instead of a wallpaper or paint, it's cabinets. And I noticed the places that have just the cabinets and the, the folders, it's predominantly older physicians and they're, the business was always going down. Yep, It was always depleting, <laughs> their numbers never went up. And the ones who had EMR systems, the electronic medical records, those were the ones who were innovating and trying to get new clients, new patients. And they were this, of the same age too, usually the doctors were the same. Just have it to was be just the one who was open to implementing an EMR teaching the the staff how to use it so that things could go smoothly and i noticed the the places that were better trained they had way more success and their volume always went up and i'd have to deal with the places that were doing files with folders right. and those people were the ones who were losing us income we have a um a collection division medical collections we run about five thousand files a year using very little staff i don't need as much staff as you would think for because of the technology right so I go to the doctors, I said, listen, you want a higher rate of recovery, right? All you need to do is implement electronic medical records. These arbitrators, these judges, they don't want to interpret your handwriting. You write like you put the pen between your toes yeah. and they don't want to listen. And so then they call me up and like, why, why is my success rate only 50% and the guy down the block is 90%? I'm like, because he's listening to me. He's using the technology that I'm telling him to use and also now contrast that to other law firms. I got so frustrated in so we're in nineteen in two thousand and fourteen that there was no software platform for that specific business that I went and invested a lot of money and built my own software platform. To this day, five years later, I'm the only law firm that has it. They're all using Microsoft Excel spreadsheets. Now I'm representing institutional clients. I have about three hundred and fifty clients on that side, institutional, and same thing. They're not taking advantage of the ability to build software to, you know, it, I'm not a software engineer. I just hired software engineers and they built the platform for me. So question. So my sister went to law school. She's a lawyer as well. She was in the books studying law, right? So now in, I didn't ask her this. I haven't even asked her when they, in law school, do they teach you how to conduct your own practice? Do they teach you anything in no. that field at all and no business side? Not business law, but business. I, I will tell you that to me, I have the similar outlook on education as you guys do, which is crazy because I'm, I'm highly educated. I went to college. I went to law school. Um, they teach you nothing about real life, right? So I see guys that get out. They become a judge. They become a judge for 10 years. Something goes on. The party shift changes or something. Now they're in private practice. I'm like, you know how to develop business? No. I'm like, do you know how to bring in clients at all? No. And, and they... And by that time, if you're 50 and learning marketing, it's probably too late, yeah. to be honest with you. Like, you got to learn all that stuff early on, but that's the entrepreneurial side, you know. 
always looking like how can I manipulate the population instead of oh I'm on a track this is there's a constant feed right how do I you know so and the and to the other point is is because they didn't teach that stuff in school and they a lot of times they don't teach it in any of the fields I can't emphasize enough the importance of finding a mentor slash coach coaching is not uh, inexpensive it's not cheap but it's worth it right so on my coaching I spend a pretty penny probably more than most people will still, you know they would be shocked at the number you know look I'll tell you it's probably about 35,000 a year on coaching sure. I do a quarterly meeting and I have a one-on-one -on -one with my coach every week and but I'm not the kind of guy that would spend that money if I wasn't making more because of that concept. I mean, my business was growing so fast. I'm like, I don't have partners. Nobody taught me how to build HR systems and all of this stuff. That's what the coaching does for you. So like, you'll find people that are doing what you guys want to do at conventions and stuff. Those are the people you have to talk to and be open-minded about. Perfect advice, man. Yeah. I love it. You know, as we talk more, I get the sense that you are an innovator, you're, you're a shark, you go get things, you, and, and the way you're talking about your, um, your practice and what you do with your employees, and I think just because over here, you didn't meet Mike yet, but you saw him, he's the owner of this gym, and there's, there is an, a certain atmosphere here that everyone loves, and it feels like family, just like you said, your practice, and what it stems from here is Mike, he's the owner, and he's an amazing guy, good head on his shoulders, and he just drives, 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 and I, I'm getting the sense from talking to you that you are the same exact way. And that is what it makes your practice the way it is. It's you. It's the owner. It's the person on top. So it all stems down from, from the top and trickles down. So that's the beautiful thing about what I see going on here. And what's cool is then that feeds the bottom, which then feeds the top. It's kind of just like what we were saying before. Like you make right. the decision to eat healthy food, which then changes your gut biome, which is like your employees who then feed you and make you a better person. So and I'll you tell continue you. Continue that going on. And and that's where the modeling comes in too, right? So I'm not big. Like we'll talk. We do a staff meeting every Monday and we'll talk about um, any, any diverse topics. We talk about work and then we talk about diet it could be paleo it could be keto whatever people want, are interested in talking about hire me now <laughs> but the, but the modeling is they see uh, to me discipline and resiliency equals mastery i just gave a talk to about 200 250 attorneys down in florida in december about that equation discipline and resiliency resiliency equals mastery and i i started to equate my business life with my jujitsu journey and you know, I got my black belt in jiu-jitsu about a year and a half ago, which is not sure. an easy feat. But I've also uh, hit that level of mastery professionally. And what you realize is that that modeling, all of a sudden, the staff starts to pick up on it. People are like, hey, man, that meditation is changing you. And so I run a meditation contest in the office. And I'm like, you guys show me a month straight of meditation and I'll buy you these apple earbuds. You know, and I got... So maybe 50% of the staff now is meditating daily. Well, they're better with clients. It's addictive. It's oh, addictive. It's they're better with clients. They're be And their their family lives are changing because of it too, you know? That's a beautiful so, thing, man. You're doing a great thing with that. I mean, that, that's what I'm trying to do. You know, like to me, the rest of it, anybody can work files, right? If you're halfway decent. I mean, we happen to be excellent at what we do and we have a great staff. I've hired attorneys that are phenomenal at what they do. And, and the staff, same thing, the paralegals, the, the, my legal administrator, I mean, she runs my life basically. And, and I built her though. I invested two years into building the legal administrator that any office would kill for. And most of it was related to mindset stuff. I read that book, um, 
by Carol Dweck, Mindset. You ever read it? No, uh, I don't right. think so. Mandatory homework. <laughs> Mandatory homework. <laughs> Thank you, Coach. You're gonna have you're gonna have a podcast called Young Minds. You got to read this book. It's it's about open mindset and what you guys are talking about. It's high level stuff you guys are talking about. This book was a bestseller, and then I give it to my staff, and I'm like, I need you guys to read this because if you're not, if if any of you are not in that mindset, you're gonna start to see friction within the office. You're gonna start to say, well, maybe I don't fit in here. You know, and people will come in and go, man, I was in the box on this and, and you were right. And because I don't believe that I have to discipline adults, I don't have to micromanage them, let them manage their own stuff. You know, they're there to make money for themselves as well as me, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And be successful. What you're yeah. doing is you're optimizing your employees for the work, but also their life. You're optimizing yes. humans. That's my, my job. I see, I feel like my job as the owner of a business is to bring out the highest level of performance in everybody there in a positive way. You can't beat it into people, but you can show them. You can show them by your own, you know, walk in the walk. They see me come in, my face is all beat up from jujitsu. They know I was training that day. I'm not saying go to the gym and I'm sleeping in late. I'm, you know, exhibiting that behavior that is healthier. So now people have started ex exercising when they never did. They've cut back on junk food when that was a staple in their diet. So that type of stuff. Do you fill the office with some good treats, some uh, healthy snacks, so I'm some big, on it bites? I'm yeah. I'm, I on haven't tried those, bites. believe it or not. No, but you're taking some on the way out. They're <laughs> I'm, so good. I'm big on caffeine. Like I told you guys, I'm a caffeine Welcome junkie. to the club. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so is my office now, almost everybody there. What's um, the uh, drink of choice? Is just, it like bangs? Because I know you were saying everyone drinks coffee. bangs. Straight just coffee. coffee. Oh. And that, that machine is running 24. Like It's just constant from the minute we're in there. You got to throw some nerve roast in with and yeah. uh, get a vending machine with on a bike. Well, so I'm <laughs> building I'm building out a new office now, <laughs> okay. right? And part of that is we have a full kitchen. Oh, man. Well, if you need help staffing that kitchen or just <laughs> someone to coach <laughs> you deal. in that kitchen, well, so a little I'm, fitness I'm, area, Frank and I got Well, you. I, I want to do like a meditation room where, you know, I'm big on yoga too. So I do every day meditation. I do 20 minutes to 30 minutes of yoga stretching because I have to in the morning and then I do 20 minutes more stretching at night because I have to, jujitsu will beat you up. So I do that constantly. Um, you know, I'm lifting a couple of times a week, mostly with kettlebells and functional stuff. And I that's just a regular routine. That's just how my life is programmed from Sunday through Saturday every week. My schedule doesn't vary much. That's why when you guys are like, hey, give me your availability. I'm like, Saturday mornings are great. I can fit it in right after jujitsu, you know, so. so which one started first? So your fitness journey or your law journey? Which oh, yeah. one was question? Fitness. Fitness started first. By okay. far, man. I've been lifting since I'm like 15 years old. So do you think that that mindset, because for me, fitness was the first time where I ever put in work and was able to see direct results. And then that solidified the idea that if you put your mind to it and you discipline yourself and you genuinely feel some sort of emotional connection, like I re really felt it. Right. I then couldn't stop doing it. And then I knew that that's how I have to approach all the things that I'm interested in or I want to be proficient in. So do you feel like that was the the domino effect that created the life that you live now? Or do you feel like you were always destined for law and that was an interest in, intrinsically? I, I think, so I've been exercising probably since junior high school, right? Like, so another first is I was uh, a teenager at a time when Arnold Schwarzenegger and oh, all yeah, the steroid yeah. guys are out there. <clears throat> so I saw these massive guys and I'm like, 
I got to lift heavy things, right? So <laughs> everyone again, wanted to look no like shit. them. Now again, I'm five, seven and a half. I'm not a tall guy, but I was like, I can control how I look and how I feel. Um, and that evolved because I fell in love with martial arts after first seeing Bruce Lee back in the day. Of course. And so yeah. I've been doing martial arts around the same time since I'm 15. And the, the feedback loop was I became obsessive and that's how my personality is. So when I started to do yoga and said, wow, man, I'm 50, but I can now touch my toes to my head. And now I started doing yoga every day, right? I can go into a butterfly pose and put my toes to my head and choke somebody out that way. I'm like, I'm doing this. So I, I, I keep adding to my life things that I fall in love with because again, at some point you, you have to go out on top at any career. And at some point, whether it's 60 to 65 years old, you may not be a sharp, right? So the idea is to go out on top. But I want to make sure my life is full of things to fill that nine-hour void that I love doing. So jujitsu for two hours, yoga, whatever I can do, you know. And so to answer your question, that feedback loop only got stronger with the exercise and fitness and martial arts and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So now I, I bet, I mean, I'm going to ask because, I mean, no, you haven't been there yet, but when not that when do you feel like retiring but when you do decide to retire and hang up the towel you will be able to now follow through with the passions that are that relate to your meat vehicle your human body right like instead of focusing on business directly you'll be focusing on yourself and just kind of riding out the certain people aren't built like i don't see myself ever retire like i i think that I, I love the action. I love the chase of a deal. I'm kind of like Alon in that way, and I, I see a lot of myself in him. Um, Alon Avgi, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, retirement's just going to look like a different thing. My coaching organizations yeah. already asked me to coach, which means I'll be flying around the country coaching young law practices and law practices that need help because I'm one of their best students, and I've been, you know, I've done an exemplary, you know, uh, uh, job of instituting and and implementing everything they've taught me and the results are tangible so i may just not be practicing law after 60 or i may not be practicing on a daily basis but i'll be coaching writing putting out content that type of stuff i think Got that's it. the way to okay. do it though. that makes because i couldn't imagine either getting to a certain age and just stopping everything and going like oh i have nothing to do now i would lose my mind no i think you, you, know, you always have to point. do exactly yeah uh what what's the saying there's that Steve always says, Steve Mazurko, he always goes, um, there's two times you die in life. The first is, well, one of them is the physical death, right? right. And another death in life is when you, like you just said, you don't do, you, you've, no, no, I messed that up, didn't I? <laughs> Shout out to Steve Mazurko. Steve, you got to say it more often. <laughs> I know. No, it was actually two times. I know times, what you're saying. Two times you, um, no, it's actually completely different, but I'm going to continue know what saying. He says, man. I don't There's two deaths in life. One is your physical death, and one is when your name is never mentioned again and your legacy is gone. Right. So, like, someone like Shakespeare, he hasn't had a second death yet. His legacy is so strong that, which has nothing right. to do with what we were talking about. I confused it in my head. No, yeah, but I, also I think this, But it makes. <laughs> look, I, but it will go on though. I mean, I, I also practicing. think there's a form of death where if you're doing something that's not true to your your own passion. compass, your own passion compass, if you will, then you're already dead, right? Like mm -hmm. I tell people. So we went through a couple of iterations of the law firm, right? So very early on, you end up hiring people more out of budgetary concerns, so you may not hire full bucket or fully experienced people. Of course. So what you see is people are just dialing it in and and then but then you get to the level where you're hiring people that are that love what they do. They're passionate about the excellence that they can turn out and the results that they can have. I mean, we're helping 
severely injured people at this point. And I guess we've gotten to that point because we've built a reputation for those types of cases, right? Um, so I think that the people that are with me see the end game. You don't stay 15 years in a job because you don't love it. And you've built goals for yourself that are tied to the goals for the business and they enjoy it. It's not just dialing it in. They're not sitting there dead waiting for five o'clock to come. Because I tell people, I've had staff meetings with those younger iterations of the law firm where I'd say, look, if you don't want to be here, leave. This ain't personal. This is just business. Like if, you, if you're not enjoying stuff, I would never want an employee who two years felt like they were just dying at their desk like, you, like when you yeah. were talking about it. Four years. Yeah, man. <laughs> I, like that would mean I'm failing. Like I would rather you go out, hit it big, you come back and you're like, hey, man, I got a great investment opportunity. I'm in, man, because you're doing what you love to do. So now I can invest in the jockey, right? Mm -hmm. You're the yeah. jockey. You're, you're riding that horse and you're winning. Tell me what the great idea is, you know? So I, I've encouraged people to say, look, if you're not happy, don't be here. Don't be here. Go find your passion, whatever that is. 100%. So I want to ask some pretty iffy questions, okay. right? Go ahead. Some, some sticky, some sticky stuff. Right. As, I'm, as I know you know, lawyers are not looked upon as uh, good people sometimes, right? All the time. <laughs> All the time. Okay. Ethical. A lot Ethical, of the time. Right? A lot so of the time. In movies, time. on Netflix, the lawyer character is always made to be shady doing deals behind stuff uh, maybe even fabricating events to get certain things they want um i'm not saying you do that at all but right. do you see that in the workplace sometimes is that apparent it is happens it happens look there's there's too many attorneys there's too many law students same as there's too many doctors so you're putting out all of these people that have expectations when they get out that are not realistic right and they don't have the right skill set to actually get what they got into it for, which is financial success or professional success. So they'll cut corners and that becomes a slippery slope. Like I've seen people dip into their escrow account, they end up getting locked up, they end up getting in trouble. You know, I saw an attorney who must have done some bad stuff and put a shotgun in his mouth. So yeah, it happens, but it happens in every field. You're gonna have that auto mechanic who will purposely tell you you need a doofilator in your car. And if you're like me, you don't know mechanics at all. You're, you're paying right, for you're a $500 right. doofilator and you're like, what the, <laughs> fuck is, what the fuck is a doofilator, right? So oh, it's in every field, including law. Um, but what I find is, so at the economic downturns, like what happened in 08 when the banks were crashing, or like I think is coming in, let's say the next two years yep. where you're gonna see an economic That's what downturn. That's he just said the other day. That thins the herd. Because the guys that are marginal get eliminated. If you've got a good business and you've got a good staff and you've got a purpose and a mission, you rise to the top. Those guys can't survive because they were going for the quick buck. I'm not about the quick buck. A lot of the guys that I now surround myself with are not about the quick buck. They have very ethical practices. Um, that doesn't mean they're inexpensive. They're making plenty of money. Uh, I send people to one divorce attorney at this point because I know he's not going to just churn the file for his own benefit. He gets the job done. He's ethical. He's a Nassau County guy. He's a great friend of mine. And that's who I surround myself with. So I think that those are also the people that when that economic downturn happens, we're still referring business to each other. We're not, we know it's, a, nothing changes how we practice. So yes, it's out there. It's out there in every field. Okay. And now also as a lawyer, correct me if I'm wrong with anything. Um, you have to take your client and try to get them to win no matter what, correct? Not no like, matter what. Not no matter what? Not no matter what. I've had clients where I'm like, look, I got to let you go. 
Like I'll fire, I, I will fire a client, um, whether it's institutional or not, if I feel that, well, I'll give you a perfect example. Personal injury client, I have the case three years, getting ready for trial. He says, you know, this was, none of this was real, none of this medical treatment. I'm like, you're fired because if you take the stand tomorrow. He just told you right off the bat like that. Three years into the case, we're about going to trial and I hear I hear that and I go, listen, you're, you're, you'll get locked up. It's insurance fraud. It's not a joke. And what it's I bad do, on you. What, no, no, no. What no. I do is not a joke. It doesn't look bad on me because now I'm, I don't know, how I'm getting medical records in and none of it's real. So I, I said, look, you're fired, man. You're fired. You're done. And that's really where you got to have the ability as any business person to just have that boundary and say no. Because a lot, there's a lot of gray in business. There's a lot of black and white. But there's also a lot of temptation. The more successful you become, you're going to have people coming at you from different angles. You know, are there law firms out there now that are pay for play? Yeah, they pay $500 for a personal injury case lead. It's completely illegal. I don't do it. I got to sleep at night. I got a nine-year-old, you know. Um, but is it out there? Yeah, 100%. So there are some people who would take take him still and be like, don't worry, we got this. Oh, yeah, cool. it's going on. It goes on from all over New York. New York is, you know, part of the issue is because you have so, uh, such a heavy concentration of attorneys. Yeah. You know. Did you have the second part to the question? Second part? No. You know what I wrote down, actually? I was. I wanted to... A lot of times, um, you ever see a law that's out there and you're like, what the fuck is this law and what yeah. lawyer helps get that passed, right? So I started Googling some yesterday. This one made me laugh so hard. and But you know what? I didn't do my research to see... I just I saw a title and I wrote it down. I should have researched it, get more in depth about it. But in Alabama, it is strictly prohibited to use confetti. The carrying, manufacturing, or selling of confetti is offensive to public safety. I, it blew my mind that there's actually a law out there telling people they can't use confetti and throw paper. And what I'm assuming is one incident, someone choked and died on confetti, right? Or or, or animal. Maybe it's a threat to animals. You know, it could be a threat to the animal environment, wildlife, whatever. Like I know that there was an issue with rice at weddings because the birds were eating the rice, but it was raw and then it was like exploding their stomachs or something. It was really? negatively oh, impacting sure. the bird population. Now, I don't know if there was a law passed, but I know they stopped doing it at the churches because it was impacting the animal environment. That could be for that so, too. So, you know, the problem is when you have too many attorneys and you have career politicians that where the Constitution wasn't really designed for career politicians. They were supposed to go to Washington for a couple of months, do their job, and go back to their other job. You have people who have to sit around and justify their existence by creating more laws, right? So the more lawyers, the more laws. The more laws, the more enforcement of the laws, so it creates economy. Mm. And so you, you want to talk about, to, in my opinion, stupid laws are you know making marijuana illegal in any state. I think it's stupid. I think that, you know, my my analysis, and I don't know, you guys referred to the tree of life. I didn't know what that was. I wasn't sure what you were referring to. I know it's an inside joke, but but it, it, it's... There's more layers to it. We'll, I, we'll show you. We'll, we'll talk yeah. about it. Okay. But, but <laughs> it, it's ridiculous with all the medicinal studies out there, and now it's starting to change a little bit. And, and the system's not perfect, so it takes a little while for it to catch up. There's a lot of bureaucracy, and people are married to, to their ideals, so if you have a... Uh, Republican stance that all marijuana is bad, like Jeff Sessions yeah. was saying. Well, guess what? You, it's going to take a while to change that. Well, things yeah, like that are, are exterior motives. Right. I was like, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. Things like that are exterior motives, right. correct? Like right. keeping it illegal helps 
some businesses. Right. Yeah, it's right. all. I mean, pharmaceutical. We you can't deny. I mean, pharmaceutical companies have a huge constraint on the legality of sure. it. Um, Kratom. Have you heard of Kratom? Of course. Okay. So um, knowing that that was going to be illegal. Meanwhile, there are no negative studies. There's no direct deaths from Kratom. Um, and it's a natural plant found in Indonesia. It's ground up, boiled in a tea, and everybody's happy over there. They're, right. they're not. It, they're, there's a reason why they use it. Decrease inflammation, increase mood, and increase energy, right? And it could help get you off of opiate addiction. Right. Now, so right there. they have Suboxone which is right. the top seller. Um, and they have all of the, this money and this economy that they've built around these laws. So as you're saying, they've created these laws so that we can now manipulate. And we know that the population is flowing in that direction and we're gonna cycle through more and create a higher uh, case concentration of this of this happening. Right. And that flourishes in the economy. And I feel like we're, we're putting in a lot of Band-Aids on a giant wound here and at some point it's just gonna bleed out. Look, it might be an overly simplistic view follow the money. The drug companies make billions of dollars. I'm part of a group of lawyers that sue drug companies on the regular um, for different defective drugs they put out. There's great specials all over Netflix about the medical device industry where they said, everybody thinks the drug industry is bad. Our, our approval process is nothing. We can literally, if we don't like the way the FDA is voting, put somebody else on the panel to skew the vote in our favor. This is these are industry insiders, so it's all about the money. Like, I, and and for years, I now I start to sound like my father because he used to say <laughs> about politicians. Listen, there's billions of dollars being made, and they do somebody does an analysis and says, well, if we kill this many people, we're going to pay out, let's say, a hundred million. Well, we still made nine hundred million. So that's the analysis that's happening. Our lives oh, are secondary, man. If you think that that equation doesn't go on, I mean, I know big corporations that could have made changes to products that were less than a dollar and they would let it go on for 10 years knowing people were dying. And when we started signing those cases up, we signed up thousands of them, people dying across the country. And they knew they were gonna pay out because the lawyers are gonna make them pay out. That's where, when you talk about like tort reform, I don't know how familiar you guys are with it and everybody said the PI lawyers are the bad guys, right? Because we sue everybody. We're the only ones that keep people safe. Without us, these corporations will do whatever they want. They will do whatever they want because the lobbyists will change the laws to suit their needs. So we keep it honest. We keep it real where, okay, you're going to pay for this. But now they've turned that into their business model. They just put it into their pricing. Jesus. Wow. Not just to be, to not to be pessimistic. Yeah. You know? No, no, but it makes, <laughs> I, I, that makes a lot it, of sense, know? man. Because if you're making $900 million, right? right? And it's like, all right, well, we're going to get now for about 100 So let's just do the accounting prior. Our accounts, you know, Price accounts payable, put like a $200 million uh, note on that and we'll see it's exactly it it's this. exactly what happens Damn. what do you Damn. see as a fix for that because there's got to be somewhere where the line's drawn or an evolution Look, the, sure, the problem like. is man medicine's broken i've heard you guys say it before right We're, we are going to have a tsunami of bad things but medicine's broken food is broken and now they've conditioned all of america to just say, pop Look, the pill give me right? a pill yeah. i mean i had a relative that was on a blood thinner that we know they were fraudulently producing research on they, they were forging names to FDA approvals to get the product approved. And I had a relative that was on, and I'm like, you know, you have to be on that twice a day, and it's really bad, and people are dying and bleeding out. She's like, yeah, but I only have to take it once a day. I'm like, did Most you? Most of the time it's like, yeah, my yeah. doctor told me it's okay, My though. doctor, white, it's called white coat syndrome. My mm. doctor said it, it must be true. What do you know? You're an attorney. I'm like, listen, I, I know the medicine on it. It's, it's 
there's a lot of deaths happening because of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I feel like every industry. I mean, capitalism is a great thing, right? We love capitalism. We love. I I love capitalism. I yep. think it weeds out the the shitty players, and the market dictates what happens. But right. the problem is when you have industries where there's a license, and the only people that can get in there need a license. So you have lawyers who then have their license and they're able to pick and choose what they want to do. Right. You have doctors who have a license and they get to pick and choose what they want to do. And then you have pharmaceutical companies who have the FDA on their side where they get approval or denial. And then whatever's approved, now they can build an economy around that given the side effects and the cures. Then they all kind of interlace Every single issue interlaces like big food, yeah, right? So now you have Monsanto and you have them lobbying to keep their shit food and their quote-unquote natural pesticides in our foods and everything keeps circulating, but one causes the other, which causes the other, which causes the other, which causes the other. But then people are pointing at one causal to be the cause for something else and it's so interrelated that there's not going to be one fix like, all right, well, we need to just fix big food. Because once we fix big food, then that'll help this and help that. It just won't happen because then you have the pharmaceutical companies, which will then find a way to manipulate that and take advantage of capitalism to try to make it you know, work in their advantage. But capitalism only works really on the mom and pop level. It right. doesn't work. And when it gets that big, it's too much. There's too much money. Once we you can't... have a trillion dollar company or a yeah. billion dollar company, good luck taking them on, man. They, yeah. they, you know, like there are certain lawsuits going on right now, and I'm being vague about specifics because I'm part of them or whatever of course where there's a product where they're like this is causing cancer in women and we know it is and there's science and we're finding medical evidence in all of these women ovarian cancer and if this company got so much money that even the lawyers they're gonna make them spend hundreds of millions of dollars to litigate these cases and then if they win they're gonna appeal them they're gonna take them through the whole system because this company's got more money than any individual law firm, any individual business in that space. They're monsters. So, you know, I don't know what the fix is. It's a little scary, to be to, honest with you. To it. me, it's I like extremely. to believe that the fix could be or, or may happen when it boils down to the individual, right? All us, all us, all of us were consumers. And the big businesses, like you said before, they'll follow wherever the money goes, you know? So when the masses and the consumers are educated, and they want those right foods, right? They want the holistic approach. Then the big guys are gonna say, huh, that's where the money is, let's do it. Uh, and you, you're seeing right. that in CBD. CBD right now, because right. it's exploding. Who bought, uh, no, marijuana too, CVS. Marlboro. Marlboro, Marlboro, <laughs> uh, CVS just filed some paperwork to start having a dispensary. Uh, because big corporations are just like, huh, the money's in, in, in weed now, we're back in that. Right. So I think it, it boils down to the individual, us as masses, the consumers, whatever we want. And if there's enough of us who want it and who are educated in that, the big dogs are going to come in and be like, we got it for you. Don't it, you worry. And it could also be a gener- as long as you're in it for the long haul. Because, again, generationally, it'll change when you have young people that are uh, willing to do their own research on their phones and start digging in on stuff. It'll start to change, but that's going to take a long time. It's not going to happen overnight. You got to be patient. I mean, the marijuana issue has been going on forever. You got people that, so New York passed the Compassionate Care Act, which is medical marijuana. It's one of, you have to have one of 10 symptoms going on. And they were extreme. And I'm like, you know, you see people that are going through these medical conditions. They have to go to a doctor every month. It costs them like 250 bucks all to get something that they know will help them. Yeah. You know, so but it starts to evolve. Now I think they're talking about legalizing it recreationally. Recreation, here, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, so I mean, I I don't even think that'll help. 
because then you open up the black market on top of that because then they're going to be taxing the shit out of it right and then now you're going to have cheaper bud that you could buy from someone else and then right. dispensaries uh growers are going to be able to uh you know lose a couple of products uh-oh right. they went bad and then that goes to you know steve around the block and then steve around the block sells it to you know chad brad and look it might be i mean again the market's pretty fluid like yeah. you said free market i do um look i love capitalism i think that it can work i think that when you but you have to be uniform in the way you apply restrictions. I mean, as attorneys, we're the most heavily regulated when it comes to advertising. I can't compete with what other businesses are allowed to do. And I'm not sure why. I'm like, listen, why can't we market the same way other businesses market? What don't you they know? allow you to say? What's, what's the... You can't call yourself an expert. You can't... Uh, it, it, there, are, there are so many rules that I literally am on the phone with my compliance attorney in Manhattan because I'm, you know, I'm big on marketing. So I'm constantly saying, look, here's an idea I had. Can I do this? If she says yes, I run with it. If she says no, I, I kill it. You know, and that's kind of but, – but then the lobbyists can do whatever they want. The, you know, the people that are in politics, they're allowed to spam, but we're not allowed to spam. I get it. I don't want to be a spammer, yeah. but but I'm saying that why is it okay for there's actually a law that says if you're running for office, you can spam. Like what does that mean exactly? Spam meaning you can you can scrape a million emails off of the internet. There's various ways of different software people can pull down emails yeah. and then just unsolicited emails send it out. There's a whole uh can spam act in 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 the law books. Um but why is, why is it okay for a politician to do it and not everybody else? Why can politicians running for office do it? I, and I saw that and I'm like, it's just not right. They yeah. should be equal across the board. No, I got an email five days ago saying yeah. Bernie Sanders is running. Yeah. It's like, I don't give a shit. Thank you. Good right. night. Right. Like, how did this even happen? I didn't register. I didn't do anything. I said, Bernie Sanders is running. It's like, okay. It's just, for the it's email. crazy, you know, like that, that disparity is crazy. You can't yeah. do it as Joe Blow, but you can because you're a politician. You know, yeah. so. it's, I think the government's taking an inch, taking an inch, taking an inch until at some point there's that totalitarian. I, I'm not doom and gloom, I'm not trying to, you know. You don't want to talk to me about that stuff because yeah. I'm like, Cause uh, I, just, I don't get involved with politics. I just can't, yeah, do I? you know, it's not I my can, thing. Yeah, because it's a, it doesn't line up with my philosophy. So <laughs> when I try to think of it in my own objective philosophy it doesn't work that way there's so much subjective there's so much intertwined issues and different conflicts of interest where i can't even follow and the it's logic. also more about personal agenda versus really wanting to serve the people yeah if you go back to what the whole purpose of it was supposed to be we've gotten so far away from that well, the original yeah. purpose of the government here was to not was to stop government power like from england <clears throat> right so like we govern ourselves we don't need england anymore to be part of us and that was the original like united states of america yeah. except somebody figured out that there's uh, a way to make it a full-time job yeah but in order to do that we need more taxes so who's going to pay the taxes well the small guy's going to pay the taxes the big guys aren't going to pay the taxes so it becomes this never-ending cycle like so and especially now where you see this such political divide across the country huge so in huge. my opinion like new york just took away um, the salt tax deductions, which are real estate deductions, they cap them at ten grand. Well, good luck on Long Island. You know, we used to get the full tax deduction. So if somebody paid twenty thousand dollars in real estate taxes, you could deduct that from your income. Now it's capped at ten grand. 
Where? <laughs> where? Where in like New York are you living? In, yeah, in Long Island, right? I mean, it, it, and it's kind of crazy. Like, why do that? Why did they do that? It's. I feel like it's Was like political theater. Uh, to me, again, New York is a is a heavy Democrat state, blue state. You got Washington is red right now, and I think that they just can't get along. So if they give something in Washington, they take something in. They got to do something. They got to do something to. It's such a game. I'm not saying that's what it is. I'm saying course, that I'm trying to interpret it. Like, why you want to cause a mass exodus from New York? I mean, because... Oh, it's happening. It's happening. It's definitely happening. You guys can do this from anywhere. Why do you have to be here and pay the highest property oh, taxes? Don't, don't tell me twice. Yeah. We want to move to Utah yeah. so bad. Oh, my God. Colorado. Colorado. Something over there. Utah. Southeast yeah. Utah. Uh, Listen, Southwest I, Utah. I eventually won't be in New York. I know businesses that have moved out of here just because, like, so Florida doesn't have a state income tax. New York state income tax is about 7%. So if you got a high net worth earner who is uh, generating revenue of a million to $5 million a, a year, that 7% is a lot of money. Gonna relocate to Florida, play golf every day. My company's gonna run same way it always Get runs. Some nice vitamin D. And I'm gonna bank that 7%. Why stay in New York? Why can Florida do it, but New York can't? Yeah, What's and the, the opportunity thing is is depleting now as the internet increases and it's on the rise. I mean, the opportunity is stripped away over time. I, this is a very very and you can see it. I mean, it's a very old state. It's a very old state. Yeah, you know, and I think the the new the new minds, the young minds, let's say for lack of a better term, they're a little bit more open minded to kind of a collectivist. I don't want to go down the road of communism. Right. I don't want that at all because that's where the the real pain comes from. But there has to be something on a more of a philosophical level where we need to change as a culture. And I think that starts with, you know, at home. We well, need I also think the internet's changing economy in general. You know, you the people can do things that they just didn't have that opportunity to do before. Mm -hmm. So you can create, uh, I was talking to a buddy of mine, he's setting up a, a product store that will generate business and he's got a built-in captive audience that will generate business while he's sleeping. So... Now, all of a sudden, if that's his passion, he doesn't need to worry about where he lives, you know, how much the taxes are in a, in a high-tax state. He just goes where it's financially beneficial it's, to it's him. It's remote work. Yeah, it's remote work. It's more fluid and flexible. It's not as rosy as everybody thinks because the, the stresses on one side of the – I always tell people, the stresses on one side of the desk are just as severe as the other side of the desk. They're just different. You know, I'm responsible for a massive payroll every two weeks. That's my pressure. That's my job. My job is to make sure my employees are paid every two weeks. So when they sit across from me and they're like, you don't understand the pressure, I'm like, all right, now come and sit on my side of the desk. Mm -hmm. Look at it from the other side. So when you're self-employed, hey, man, th that's great. As long as you're good with that pressure, the risk of I have to generate enough to live. Right, like we were talking about. Yeah, and uh, Justin and I were just talking about this this morning. I was like, because yesterday I kind of came in and I was like a little shot. I wasn't really feeling. He was, was being like, a little negative. Being a little I didn't negative. say anything. <laughs> I let him ride. No, he did say. He did say something. And I was like, shit, man, it is. It's showing on my face. Like I came in, I didn't want to be here. I didn't want to do this. I was like, the hell? What the hell's going on? Like, because I, I had one cancellation from a client, and I was like, oh wow, that's that's my income. Like, if she if they don't show up, that's. I don't, I don't make money that day. Right. You know, but before it was like, uh, yeah, fuck it, whatever. I still got this income coming in. Right. So I had that type of mentality and now it was hybridized in the way I was thinking, you know, like, oh yeah, I'll go hustle on the side, 
hustle on the side. Like that was always my mentality. I but I had the security had of a paycheck, yeah. which that that I take issue with, right? So I love hiring. So let me go back to when millennials weren't even called millennials, right? So in hiring, it presented a lot of challenges because generationally, it um, it's a different HR type of mentality that you have to deal with, HR human resources mentality. And I had to learn how to manage millennials and encourage millennials. And now, and I had to realize also, you guys are entering the workforce in droves. You are the workforce now, right? So um, I, when I first did it, it was problematic. Like you might have a visceral reaction and say, well, what do we need a 50-year-old guy on a Young Minds podcast, right? But I would have the same visceral reaction like millennials. So it was just, it's so hard to deal with because social media has changed the landscape. Now, fast forward, now I know what's important. I know that I can't judge every millennial. We're not that different. Like when I was writing to Elon by text, I'm like, after listening to your podcast, we're very like-minded, right? So I'm still a young mind, even though I'm 50. And it you can't just generalize, right? So you're going to have bad and good in every generation. And the challenges are ever present. But as far as with millennials, you know, I tell people like, look, you want to be a hustler? Fine. Hustle, tie it to the results of the business. And if you're that good, we will figure out how to make you very wealthy. And if, so let's say a marketing guy, marketing guy comes in and he's so good. And look, you want to go out on your own? Let's start a marketing company together. I have the resources. Let's start a marketing company. I have the contacts. I'll give you built in sales day one. It doesn't have to be either or, right? So, yeah. No, definitely. I mean, the job I had before, it was, I was doing what I had to do, right? And I right. found a way to kind of exit early because I work different than my peers, right? So my peers were, they'd wake up in the morning, go there at eight, they'd wake up at 8.30, go get their breakfast, like from some place, they'd go buy it, they'd sit down 9.30, they'd start their shift. Then from there, they would go to a doctor's office, sit there and kind of just bullshit for a while with the, because I had to go and train with them. Sure. And they would go to about four different places, but they would spend two hours, they'd spend an hour and a half at each spot and then sit in their car, talk to their kids on the phone, kind of get over some things. And I was like, okay, the way that they're working is very inefficient. I'm going to work efficiently and then cut out early, right? So they had a problem with that. So I was getting everything done. Volume was up. My my uh, my pay was up. Everything was going good. I was making commissions. And I was like, okay, I can do stuff on the side. And I worked that way. That's how I, I right. thought about it. I was like, okay, I have my five-hour responsibility during the day, and I have my, my later. So then as that went away... I was like, oh shit, okay. So now I have to be 100% responsible right. for what I'm doing. And now it's just it's just a thought process. After four years, it's so solidified. So like yesterday was the time where it was the breaking point. Where I was like, okay, this is where you now need to come here and you have a focus. And it's not going to be direct pay. It's going to be investing in your, your now full-time business. It's a long tail game. You know, and this game, is, yeah. I think it took a little while for me to kind of get there. So now it's just... Yeah. yeah, so the I mean the the issue that I have and I and I got off track with it, but the issue that I have is when I have somebody coming in and they want to do their side hustle on my dime. Mm -hmm. I'm like, "Look, man, you're asking me, let's say somebody's asking me for $70,000 salary." Okay, you're worth 70,000. That side gig you can't it, that's like I I view it as stealing almost because mm -hmm. I get to the point where I'm like, "Hey man, nobody gave me security." Right? You want security, great. But your side hustle has to be you can't lose sleep over it, come in here dragging because now you're impacting my productivity, you know, your productivity in my office. So it's a fine line because I don't own anybody. But by the same token, does somebody have the right 
when I'm paying them a $70,000 salary, which is a lot of money to, to be paying somebody, do they have the right on either on my time or to impact my time because they like having the paycheck and the security, but they want to do their side hustle. So that's always where I tell people, look, I encourage you to follow your passions, but if you're going to get to the point where it's impacting you, is it worth, can you make what I'm offering you? And if I'm not your passion, don't stay anyway. You know, so that's always the fine dance that I do. And especially the millennial culture, because everybody talks about the side hustle and the hustle, and I, and I get it. Yeah. Um, like I, I, the professionals I have working with me now, and I have a fair amount of millennials, they get it, right? So, and I say to them, look, you will always make more money if you love what you're doing, whether it's with me. And if you get to the point where you're like, I got a great idea, I got a jet, don't jet. Come and talk to me, man. I'm an opportunist. I love the opportunity to scale and build bigger things. It's no longer about the money, right? So come to me. Talk to me. You got a great marketing idea. Come and talk to me. Like, let's let's figure out if we partner up on it. You know, so I'm open to that, you know, thought process. Yeah. No, it's definitely different than what I was managed by. Right. You know, Understood. I heard the story. Yeah, yeah. Way different. <laughs> But uh, no, it's awesome to hear though. I like that. It's constructive criticism basically in an indirect way, which I like because I want to – because I did feel that. Because I mean if I really think about it, right, I put myself in my director's shoes, my manager's right. shoes, right? So right. they're looking at their numbers and saying, okay, well, how come we're not doing well? Right. And then they have to look at everybody, right? And this is the first time in four years that they did that introspection. I thought that was very cool the way you did that though. You were honest about it. Like you were like it didn't feel right and I knew it was time because you did that analysis, mm -hmm. right? And – I just read another book, Leadership and Self-Deception, and we all, at some point, will self-deceive. Um, and once you realize you're doing it, if you can stop that, where you know you know the right thing, so you did the right thing, and then you're honest about it, and you're like, because if you think about it, let's say you scale up whatever your passion is, personal training, and all of a sudden you got so many clients, you gotta hire more personal trainers. Mm. How do you want now, how do you view that? How do you view the relationship now that you have people working under you that you're now paying you know, for their time, are they yeah. are they just dialing it in? Or are they really passionate about what they're doing type of thing? Of course. Yeah. And that's a challenge, you know? So. Yeah. And for me, it was like the productivity was based on a 3% commission of net sales, which was always nothing. Right. It was nothing. Right. So I was like, okay, so you guys, we never had meetings. We had meetings maybe once every five months where it was just talking about what's new with the lab. Not here, we're going to bring in a speaker to try to help sharpen up your sales tactic. None of that. Well, that was once a year where we did that. And I could just tell, like, I didn't have the relationship with my directors and my managers that, that I would like, and it just slowly drifted away. And two years into it, I was like, okay, this is not what I want to do. Right. I just started my master's degree. I just finished my master's, and now oh, I nice. owe them two years. And, ah, oh, shit, now I have two years of this. Otherwise, right. I owe them this this giant amount of I mean, of you sound a lot happier, and, right? Oh, my God, man. You sound a lot happier. And, again, what what you're doing is not easy. Like, this takes a lot of work. Right, and the other stuff you're working on. So, you know, I have no doubt that whatever you want to happen is going to happen because you're implementing every day the stuff that you want to unfold. It's exactly yeah, what it is. 100%. It's little steps every day, you know? You guys say that all the time, little steps, right? You say it with your clients, everything else. Yep. There's another book that I read called The Spirit of Kaizen, which was developed as a, in Japan, uh, and it's about implementing the littlest thing that you can implement. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a quick funny story. I have a guy in my office who loves junk food. He's a stud of an attorney, man. This kid is killing it. and But he loves junk food. So I'm like, Kaizen is this. You pick the littlest thing you can do to trick your brain because your brain doesn't like change. Your brain views change as death. 
And it's a, it's a stressor. Yes. It's a stressor on the body. Yeah. Any if use it as like like the, the lion in the woods type of thing. Like there's something coming. It's not healthy. It's change. So I said, listen, the smallest incremental change you can make. Can you eat a salad once a week? Like make the smallest. And if you do that now, you can add more change and more change and more change. So that book was an, a life-changing book for me because I was like, I can trick myself into anything. You like, if you can't meditate, you say, well, can I? Med- what's the minimal amount I can meditate every day, right? Well, can I meditate one minute? That's how I started meditating, one minute a day. Now I do 20 minutes a day, mm-hmm. right? And I implemented it. I tricked myself over a period of months. And I love that. You guys are talking, you guys are talking about very high-level concepts. And I'm not sure if you guys even realize the l- depth or the level that you're actually talking about in this podcast like when you say the step-by-steps that you talk about with your clients that's kaizen that's exactly what you're talking about you just don't have the same labeling that i have but and i'm hearing all of this and this was hundreds of thousands of dollars in business training that i had to implement and i'm listening <laughs> to you guys talk about it. i'm like they're offering a lot of really solid things well, thank no, you I appreciate yeah. that thank you a no lot. i think i think we do it just because it's it, it yields the best results it works we've seen through ourselves that's the yeah. best way to get any type of result right and all of our clients like i have i have zero percent fail rate so far with the client of growth yeah five or six clients right. thus far. Right, right, right. but it doesn't matter because when you sit with them you talk with people everybody has the same roughly the same hard wiring you know and if they're they're not willing to put in the change they're not going to change right? right but when they are and they're like frank well what do i do with this don't don't do anything yet. Just one little thing. Don't do anything crazy. Don't change your diet. Don't change everything that you eat. Don't change every exercise you do. I want you doing everything the same. Wake up and drink water. Right. I want you to drink water, pink salt, and lemon. Right. Just can, make that concoction. Can you do that? If you right. can't do that, you will never see results in your life. And right. then I'm very blunt with them on that because I know that they could do that. Right. So then that becomes a win. And then they get over that and they go, oh, shit, I did that. That's cool, the spirit cool. of Kaizen, and that man. Little, that, it's, yeah. it's small, but it's a snowball, right? You throw a little rock down an avalanche, yep. uh, down a snow path, and it becomes an avalanche. And, and it then, works. It works in business. It works in your family life. It works. Yeah. yeah. It's huge. And so when I hear you guys talking about it, I'm like, man, they're – these guys are throwing out some real stuff. Like I paid a lot of money to learn the stuff you guys are talking about and I grasp it and it's been a 10 year process and I'm listening to you guys drop this knowledge and I'm like, wow, man, they're, they're talking about some real stuff. I don't know if people grasp that when they're hearing it, like that little win concept, mm. you know, the tiniest step concept that you guys are talking about. Yeah. And I, and I, it's funny because as soon as I heard that, I'm like, I like it. I like what they're talking <laughs> so, about. That's awesome. Stuff. I appreciate Thank you so much. that. Yeah, man. Well, we really appreciate you you coming out here. I it's, appreciate it's you. It's been a me. pleasure, man. And yeah. thank you so much for yeah. all your insight, man. No, awesome. I absolutely Seriously. love the way you run what you're doing. And I, I, I'm contributing your success to that, honestly. It's just who you are. Great. And the way you run your, your employees, 100%. Awesome. This was fun. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not fucking leaving. <laughs>